The Holy Gospel according to John, the 10th chapter. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because the hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down again, and I have power to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Sisters and brothers, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. Many of you know that we here at Gloria Day are putting together a plan which we are calling our Grace Building Phase 2 plan to maintain and update and in all likelihood expand this building so that both Lutheran Campus Ministry and Gloria Day can have the building that we believe we need to have in order to keep being who we believe we are called by God to be after the house we own across the street from the parking lot is sold soon to the university. That house, by the way, is a house which um, LCM has by and large outgrown, which is kind of exciting, as is thinking about and dreaming about and praying about and talking about plans for the building we do believe we need for the faithful mission and ministries of both Gloria Day and LCM. Doing that as faithfully as possible, of course, we will need to say something to ourselves that really seems obvious, except for the fact that it is really countercultural. And that is that not every single thing you want is actually something you need. This is countercultural for we who live in a culture which spends hundreds of billions of dollars annually to expand and keep expanding the list of things that you oh so do want, and then secondly, convince you that if you want it, you need it. Because without it, oh you poor deprived thing, you'll never be happy. So we drink their Kool-Aid and we buy what they're selling. At which point, of course, these sneaky buggers, they release a new and improved one. A faster, sleeker, different color one, which, oh, poor, pathetic, unhappy you, you're stuck with one of the old ones. You'll never be happy with that. You need, you need one of the new ones. And in your soul then, because they've actually said something that you know is true, they have, you are missing something. 
And so in your soul then, you drink more of their Kool-Aid, you buy what they're saying, and therefore you buy what they're selling, at which point those sneaky sneaks release a new and improved and sleeker and faster and cooler one. And everywhere you turn, there they are again to tell you, you need. Because why? Because wants are defined as needs in the world we live in, have been ever since circa 1989 at least, when Freddie Mercury sang it for all of us. I want it all. I want it all. I want it all. And I want it now. But now, this morning, you've decided you want and or need to be here, here where we are visited this morning by an old and dear friend, a friend who speaks to us of another and very much different kind of way. The old and dear friend, of course, is the 23rd Psalm, which for more than a few of you, you know by heart. For many of us, probably in the old King James Version, which says, and many of you know this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Another version from the Message Bible. God, my shepherd, I don't need a thing. Another version came from the little girl who came from Sunday school and told her grandma that her class was memorizing the 23rd Psalm. And grandma said, let me hear it. She said, I just know the first verse so far. Grandma said, let me hear it. And the little girl stood up and stood proud and said, the Lord is my shepherd, that's all I want. And Grandma, who had had that psalm memorized since she was a little girl and who said it every night, had for decades as part of her bedtime prayers every night, Grandma said, oh, sweetheart, don't you ever forget that. The Lord is my shepherd, and that's all I want to. The Lord, this is a promise you've been given, the Lord is your shepherd. Do your wants end there? Could they? A secret, I think, and I say this having met at least a few people in my life who it seemed to me did not want. They actually seemed content within themselves, and though not one of them would be labeled what, what would be called wealthy, at least not in the way this country defines wealth. A secret, I think, is that the discontent never stop wanting more and more because they never stop thinking about all the things, and by things I by and large mean things, that they don't have. While the content, those who with the psalmist and that little girl's grandma do not want, spend so way much more of their time thinking about the things, many of which are not things at all, which they do have. Which is to say the secret to the Lord being your shepherd and you not all the time wanting, I think, might be counting your blessings and being grateful to the Lord your shepherd for them. Which is why it occurred to me this week that Psalm 23 verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want, really maybe shouldn't be read as one of six co-equal verses in that six-verse psalm, but instead should be thought of as the theme verse, kind of a headline for the entire psalm, for after verse one, 
The psalm, psalmist gives us a psalmist's eye list of the things, many of which aren't things, and all of which are something, aren't something for which the psalmist is in want of, but rather things that he gratefully realizes he already has from the Lord his shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Pastures, waters, food, drink, things that are things we really do need, but which are things also the psalmist spends time remembering he already has. The things that are things you really do need, do you already have them? Do you, with the psalmist, see your shepherd's providing hand in the fact that you have them? He restores my soul, the psalmist continues, which is to say that this shepherd also feeds his sheep food and drink for those hungers and thirsts which aren't about the needs of the body but of deeper needs than that. This shepherd, Lord, for example, feeds his sheep with the promise, in the words of the good shepherd, that you, by the shepherd, are known as the shepherd's own and are known so by name, which is something you have trouble remembering. Luther said, remember it every day by remembering that you were called by God's own name and have been ever since the day you were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Lord, my shepherd, too, the psalmist says, leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Paths of righteousness. It's, this is a phrase that actually has a dual meaning in Scripture. Number one, it refers to safe paths, the Lord guarding me on my way, but it refers also to morally right paths, the Lord guiding me on my way, and the Lord doing that guarding and the guiding for his name's sake, which among other things reminds me that the greatest path I can ever walk in this world, the greatest path for me, is not the path of me having my personal way with me, but rather the path of God having God's way with me, which in scripture, by the way, is never about only me but is ever and always about a shepherd who loves all of his sheep and who is all about doing the sharing of that love in some ways through me and through you too. The psalmist continues knowing that in this sin-broken world where things like sin and evil and death are real, sometimes in this world we find ourselves walking upon paths upon which and around us we see things really frightening. Except the psalmist isn't frightened. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he writes, I fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod, thy staff, they comfort me. The psalmist isn't scared in the presence of things scary for he knows the promise of his shepherd God I am with you always and there is no scary thing or scary anyone who is strong enough to tear you from the arms of my love 
Or in the words of the Good Shepherd again, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and no one will snatch them from my hand. The psalmist goes on, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. This is a powerful image wrapped around a powerful promise, a shepherd who does not, in this world and in this life, destroy my every enemy, but instead holds them at bay and feeds me, even as they look on at me. I think of all the visits that I and all the pastors I know have made to someone whose doctors have just said, there's nothing else we can do. But there was then something else the shepherd's sheep could do. In the presence of even death, we could feed from the good shepherd's table. Bread and wine and the promised real presence of the crucified and risen and real one whose promise is of life, real life with him, life in him, life which not even death can tear his sheep from. And so we too today will gather around the Good Shepherd's table. And some of us here this morning will do so aware of enemies of ours that are looking on as we kneel, some of them looking from out there, some of us looking from inside of us. For some of us, the enemies may be fears we haven't been able to stop fearing. For some of us, the enemies may be the sins that we haven't been able to stop sinning. For some of us, the enemies may be anxious things we haven't been able to stop being anxious about. And those enemies of ours may not necessarily magically have disappeared because you also love Jesus. They are, however, at the table. Enemies like that are held at bay by Jesus while he speaks of his presence, that his presence with you, his forgiveness of sins, that his forgiveness for the sins of you and his love, that his love for the real you as you face everything you may need to face in this real world, but you do so with your risen from the dead, real shepherd watching over and guiding you. I promise, he says. Even when you can't see that it's true, even when you can't feel that it's true, I promise it is true. You are not alone in life's valleys or on life's mountaintops. For with you is always your shepherd who, says the psalmist, anoints my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Oil, fragrant, fragrant, rich Oil is, is used in scripture. You can see it in all manner of different ways, in all manner of different stories. Anointing with oil, for example, in scripture symbolized being chosen by God. We recall and repeat that purpose of anointing every time we baptize. And one is sealed by the Holy Spirit and marked by the cross of Christ forever. Anointing oil was also used for the purpose of of grooming and cleansing and perfuming in ways recalled, no doubt, by more than a few of us in this room with things like scented bath oils. Anointing oils were also, and this is still the practice of the church, associated with prayers 
for healing. Put all of that together, and when the psalmist says to the shepherd, Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over, what is being said is that chosen and cleansed and healed and blessed in every way that he realizes he has been blessed by his shepherd, the psalmist, who began his psalm realizing he has everything he needs. By the time he's done counting his blessings, including those richest blessings of things that aren't things, realizes that, in fact, he is rich beyond rich with all so much more than he could ever need. And so cup running over with blessings from the shepherd, the psalmist, who, by the way, tradition identifies as King David from his younger days as a shepherd. The psalmist ends with a word of joyful hope, hope being a word which somebody defined for me once, and I've never forgotten it, hope being a word which I heard defined as faith, with its eyes on the future. Which in this case sounds like this. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me, chase after me, it really means, all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In other words, what? In other words, the greatest blessing of being blessed by this shepherding God is being in the presence of God. For the greatest and ultimate thing the shepherd gives us is absolutely not a thing, but he himself. One thousand years after David, Jesus, the son of David, told us the same thing and more by telling us this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. My mother-in-law is 98 in two and a half weeks, and next to her favorite chair is a basket, a little, little old basket, of her favorite devotional readings, and she reads something from that basket every day, she tells me. Uh, her favorite book in the basket, um, she tells me, is one in the 20th, on the 23rd Psalm. She has told me this more than once. I think she is afraid that I will forget, or perhaps she forgets that she's told me this more than once. I would like to end the sermon by thanking God for the faith of mothers and mothers-in-law and grandmas by sharing what Grandma Jean tells me is her favorite story of all from her favorite devotional book. She has told me this many times. (laughs) I cannot verify that this story is true. I can verify that Grandma Jean and countless other saints I've known can verify the truth of the truth this story is pointing to. A great actor once gave a wonderful performance in a large theater at the close of which there was thunderous applause and he was called back again for encores. Some of the encores came in as requests and he did them all until finally someone requested, would you do for us the 23rd Psalm? He said, yes, I can do the 23rd Psalm and he recited it as only an actor could perfectly with nothing left to be desired as far as this performance was concerned. But when he was finished, again, there was thunderous applause. He came to the front of the stage. He said, ladies and gentlemen, there is an old friend of mine whom I invited to be here today, and I would like to invite him now without any notice if he would come up and repeat the 23rd Psalm. 
And the elderly gentleman came to the stage. He was trembling with obvious fear. But then, as though he were at home only with one other, he closed his eyes, and his trembling stopped as he spoke, and all could see this. He spoke the psalm not to the audience, but to God. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. When the old man finished, there was no applause. There was also not a dry eye in the house. The great actor came to the front of the stage, he too wiping his eyes, and he said, Ladies and gentlemen, you need to know the difference between my old friend and me. I know the words of that psalm. He knows the shepherd. And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own. And my own know me. Amen.